Isn't it a wonderful thing to hear large portions of the text? It just, put, just gives us the whole understanding rather than just trying to pull out moments. Paul writing, writing a letter to Timothy said, don't despise public reading of scripture. Something beautiful about it. And so um, I'm hoping that it helps us today as we go along. So whew, we're beginning a new series um, that we're calling kind of Living as Disciples in the Kingdom of God. Uh, we came out of this series on the parables, what is the kingdom of God, more theological. Some parts were quite heavy as we looked at things, but we're going to go into this new series. And I, I touched on all, a bunch of the subjects that we're going to cover. And so if you go listen to last week's podcast if you can. I really do want to encourage you to listen to them, um, not because the, 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 the beauty of my voice, but because I think it, it's covering stuff that's important to us um, as a church and to remind us of what, what we believe that we've been called to as a church. That we've, we've set our sights and we've set our goal. We've set our focus on a, a place where we're going. And we're not going to waver from that. We're not going to the left or the right. I'm sure as human beings we will do that. But our goal is to go forward. And that is what does it mean for us to live as disciples of Jesus? And what does that look like? That we are people that are making disciples. We are growing as disciples. And we are learning how to make more disciples. That's part of the role of the church of Jesus to go make disciples. The Great Commission, the last words of Jesus... Go. And as you go, make, wherever you go, make disciples. You know, baptize them. Bring them into a Trinitarian understanding of life. And teach them how to obey me. How to respond to me. And that, we set in our sights on that. That's what we're going to do. Um, and some of us might feel we ill-equipped to do certain things. I'm hoping that as we go along, we'll be more and more equipped to actually live the life that Jesus wants us to live. To look like Jesus. And to actually do what Jesus did and touched the lives of people. It's really important to us. And so the subjects that we will look at over the next, I don't know, two or three months, hopefully come out of the life of Jesus. Uh, we'll, that's a really important thing. I think this series is going to be less doctrinal theological. I don't want to say it's not theological because theology is the study of God. So we, we, we are going to be talking about God. So it's definitely theological, but less heavy doctrinal, but more discussion and talk, helping us come to grips with some of these things. That's what I'm hoping will happen. Now, I'm, I'm, I've got three assumptions, and they might be wrong assumptions, but I'm starting with three assumptions. Number one is that you believe that disciples participate in community life. The second is that you read the Bible. And the third is that you pray. Are those fair assumptions to start with? The basic for us as believers, as disciples of Jesus, those who want to grow and become like Jesus and do what Jesus, that we will see life in community, that we will be those who read the Bible and will be those who pray, at least at a basic level. Um, so let's go from there. We'll get to this text in a moment. <clears throat> Can you remember the college you went to? Can you remember the college you went to, Betsy? What college did you go to? What college did you guys go to? Same one. Okay. What college did you go to, Whitney? Sorry? Okay. How long, how long have those colleges been around? Before the Civil War. 
1890 something. What college did you go to? University of Oklahoma. How long has that been around? Okay. Can you think of any famous people that came from your college? That kind of celebrity, famous, in some way wrote a book or something? Billy Graham, okay. Miles Matsuno came from that college. (laughs) Football player. All right. Does your college have an alumni organization? Do they? All right. Okay, just, just asking those things. Um, how many of you have family photos? Do you have family albums? One of the things I've realized as I've got older is that I want, I'm trying to find family photos because when you're young, you think, ah, but as you get older, you think, I've got to find these family photos, you know? They become important. Um, uh, my friend Andy got so wanting to find his family. I mean, he's rich, so he was, he was been traveling overseas to where the ancestors came from the 1800s and they're trying to, they're figuring this out and where and this, and he's made me, uh, it's just, we are interested in those sort of things. They're important to us. We celebrate days, birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate July the 4th. What is July the 4th? Sorry? Okay, when, when was independence? You see, 1776, even the Brits know that. 1776, that's a long time ago. And, and, and if you're from Europe, they just say, they say, what a young country you are. But we have these, these days that we said, Memorial Day, where we remember thing, people that died in war. There's, our lives are kind of around these sort of things. We, we celebrate Christmas and Easter, supposedly to remember these events, these things that happened a long time ago because they're important to our lives. And we all have those sort of things. Some people remember the death of a family member. Some people get tattoos to remember something of family. My friend who was a tattoo artist would say that most of his tattoos were now people over 50 who were putting names of family members trying to remember these things. It's kind of geared to our lives. One of the things that's happening right now in our world is more and more people are doing DNA testing. I've did it. I went and did 23andMe and found out and I was able to say, Thomas, I'm 5% Danish. <laughs> he didn't like that. So no. But, but I'm, you know, and we, it's, we're discovering where we come from, the traits that we have, and we have a bit of this and a bit of that. More and more people are doing that. The data, people are interested in those sort of things. Um, because... All these things anchor us in our humanity into the life that we live. Otherwise, we are just loose cannons, people just roving around with no place, no belonging. So when you get the African-American community, when they trace back, they go to a certain point and it stops because they have no history. There's no, nothing written down. There's no more oral tradition because they came from Africa. They were forced across. They lost contact with family, all those things. So they, history only goes back a certain amount of time. And sometimes, and if you're reading the news at the moment, many of them feel disconnected. Even though this is their homeland, this is where they're born, they have nothing to take back. So now a DNA test comes and they can discover, oh, I came from that part of Africa. And as that DNA pool increases, they'll be able to say, I came from that tribe. And that part of Africa gives people meaning. It anchors them to something. 
It's interesting if you drive around. This is the United States. It's a, it's a nation made up of masses of people. And you drive past houses and you'll see the Mexican flag and the El Salvadorian flag and the Honduran flag and the German flag and the Danish flag. People fly, because people still, root, even though they're American, they root themselves in history where they come from because it's important to describe who we are. When people lose that identity of where they're from, where they belong, it actually creates internal crisis in people's lives. And it's really important for us to tell those stories. It gives us connection. It gives us significance. It helps us know who we are. And so we tell stories. We tell stories of family. We tell stories of when we were young. When you talk to your kids, you tell them the story. When I was young and we could jump out of trees and, you know, that tree was, it was maybe three feet high, but by the time you tell the story, it was a 10 feet high tree. And we, we tell stories. Why? Because we want our kids to know something about us. And we say, we're going to tell you about your grandpa. And we're going to tell you about, because it fills in the gaps. And these people say, oh, wow, that's amazing. I've got military stories, but people don't like, but they connect you to a part. Even if you only remember the good things, there's a camaraderie that comes. All these things are part of who we are. We have journals. People have diaries. They keep a record of things they've done, things they've done. People today Instagram their food that they eat. And in 50 years time, you'll be able to go back and obviously see what Jesse and, and Buzz ate. At that restaurant. Because it's, it's in the cloud. But it's, it's something of a history. It's important. At a certain time there were no photographs. So everything was told by stories to remember. Then photographs came around. And now we, oh, now we see what that looks like. And then they find another photograph of Lincoln that they've never seen before. And it's like worth millions. Why? Because it's anchoring. It's identifying. It's helping us come to... Terms with who we are. We, we love to sit around the dining room table over a glass of wine and share stories. And everyone's got a better story than the other person. Isn't that right? It's, it's the way it is. Well, the Bible is that. The Bible is oral tradition, oral story about the people of God that one day was written down and we have a record of it. So when we read the text from Hebrews chapter 11, going into Hebrews 12, of all these people of faith. What we're doing is we're anchoring our faith story in a story that goes back thousands of years. We are not just isolated people living an isolated life, sort of I met Jesus. and No, I am connected. Not only am I connected to this family, this little family here. I'm connected to the family of God by faith that goes all the way back to Adam. I have history. And it's important. I look at that. Oh, this is an important thing. When you read Matthew 1 or I think Luke 3, Luke 4, you see the genealogies of Jesus. What, why are they there? They're really boring. But they're there to say, so no, Jesus is not just a random person that popped out somewhere. He was a person connected into Jewish history. And as people of faith, we connected into that. Abraham is our father. Not by genealogical line, but by faith, which is the thing that gives us access to the future. We are anchored in a certain way of living. 
And it's really important because when we go through struggles and we go through pains and we go through times that are rough, we can go back to those stories and say, oh, look what happened there. These people went around in skins. They were beaten. They all, but they survived. The story of God keeps moving. Is that right? Um, so it's important that we know our place in the story of God's redemption. His plan to do what he's doing on the earth, to bring everything together. We are part of that. We are not the sole focus of that. We are part of it. And one day when the Lord takes us home, the plan keeps moving. That's why we go make disciples so that the plan keeps moving. If it's only about us, there's no need to make disciples because it's about me. But it's not about me. It's about the people of God. It's about this life of faith, this journey of faith, this redemptive path that God has put in place that we're a part of. And therefore, we pass it forward. We receive it and we pass it forward. And I'll touch on that in a moment. You see, if we forget all this, then all we can celebrate really is ourselves. And that's kind of where we are in our world. We've become selfish, individualistic. It's all about me, my kingdom, my rights, my everything. We've lost the contact that actually my life is affected by others and I affect others. I don't care about that anymore. It's just about me. Um, and so even in the church, there's this whole idea that personal salvation has become the be all and end all of everything. It's why I love reading N.T. Wright. Because N.T. Wright was this, he came and said, no, we're actually part of a big story. And everyone fought to them because they, was, they were saying that he didn't believe in personal salvation. No, he did. He's saying, that's not all. We save for something bigger than ourselves. We save for something bigger than going to heaven. I was, I was listening to a talk on Saturday night, last night, Friday night, I can't remember. YouTube, uh, Dallas Willard speaking at Biola. And he was speaking on how do we take spirituality and the disciplines into the workplace. And he was just talking about this whole idea of discipleship, obeying Jesus. And he said, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Is forgiveness of sin enough to get you into heaven? I'm not saying it isn't, he said. But it was like, we've made it so personal, so individualistic, that we forgot that it's actually a bigger thing. That God, there was a great commission. It wasn't just a great personal salvation. It was a great commission to make disciples, to go out, teach people, to obey Jesus, live a, so that we pass forward that which we've received. So when we read Hebrews 11, going into Hebrews 12, we are receiving an inheritance. We are receiving a narrative. We are receiving a story that's rich in faith. And we take in that and we live in it the best way we can. And then we pass it on. Does that make sense? What we're talking about in understanding living kingdom life is that we are part of a bigger story. We are not the central part of the narrative. We are part of the narrative. We are key characters in the narrative, all of us, but we're not the central part of the narrative. It's a narrative that's been going. And somehow that has to kind of grip our hearts. I think that an important word in all of this is the word remember. Remember. Remember where you've come from. Remember that. Remember you know, the, when we think of the Ten Commandments, now one of them is, remember the Sabbath. It's not that you, oh, I remember the Sabbath, and carry on with your life. That's not what that means. Remember means, no, remember what it me actually means. Why God put it in place and embrace it into your life. We'll cover the Sabbath in a, in a future talk. Another one is, honor your father and your mother. 
so that it will go well with you. Why? What happens if you've had a really bad relationship with your mom and dad like Heidi has with Betsy? No, you still find a way to honor, which might mean you have to speak the truth. It might mean you have to have encounter. Why? So, because it's part of your story. It's the one you push forward. What happens if you're, you've had a bad relationship and your parents no longer love? Me, my dad. I've got to deal with that spiritually, emotionally with God so that I can pass something forward. Because no matter what I do, I have a heritage. I'm a French Huguenot. My ancestors arrived in South Africa in 1666. I have a heritage. Another part goes through Liverpool. It's a heritage. It's made me who I am for the good and bad of it. But I, I need to take that and shape that, allow Jesus into that story, change the story. It might be a narrative that you come from crooks and murderers and robbers and whatever. But Jesus comes by faith and changes the story so that when you pass the story forward, this is what God, this is what happened and this is where it's going. I've now changed from this DNA narrative only and added myself into the great narrative of faith that comes through Jesus. You make sense? Getting this, I'm just rambling through a whole bunch of things. The scriptures are important in this. So I'm assuming you read the scriptures. Read large chunks of the scriptures because they help you see the story. If you only read favorite text, favorite verses, you miss the narrative, and most of the Bible is narrative. If you don't read the narrative, the prophetic parts don't make sense. If you don't read the narrative, the poetry parts don't make sense. If you don't read the narrative, the letters don't make sense. They only make sense because there's a narrative, there's a historical narrative that these things speak into and come out of. It helps us to see where we're a part of. Um, what else have I got here? I've got a few other things. There's a, there's, a, there's a poet in England, his name's Steve Turner. He said, history repeats itself. It has to because no one listens. <laughs> history repeats itself. It has to, no one listens. We have to learn from history. We have to be able to look back. We can go and look at the text, see how God dealt with the people, how they respond, and we can learn vicariously. We don't have to go repeat everything. But we do because we don't listen. Or we don't read or understand. Nations repeat history because they don't, they don't learn from what came before or they forget it. One of the things that's so important about the group of people that are keeping alive the idea of, of the Holocaust is to keep remembering that what happened so that we don't repeat it. And the amazing thing is we still do. The Lord's Supper. It's remembering where it anchors us into the story of God. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me, who is the fulfillment of everything Old Testament and the hope of everything new. When we break bread, we remember Jesus, what he did, and anchor us into that story of faith. Um, let me say something about the word remember. It's an active word. It's not like a fleeting, oh I, rem oh, I, oh, I remember that. No, it's a, a word where we actively recall and make it part of us. I remember having that ice cream. Yeah, you, you did. But I, I remember the day I got saved. That's different from remembering the ice cream. 
that I had. I remember the day I saved, the day that God put his finger in my life. I remember the promises, but I remember that day. So when things go bad and people are doubting and people are mocking, I remember that day to anchor me into the story of God. I go back and I remember, oh, this is how God, when this guy was doubting, this is how God worked. And when they sinned, that's how God actually dealt with them. And when they were floundering, but they still believed, I do believe, help me overcome unbelief. I read that story, it anchors me, yes, I'm okay. It's really important to see where we fit into this whole thing. We anchored in a covenant story that has promises. It's part of what we read from this text, promises. Let's read this text again, not the whole text. We'll read from uh, Hebrews uh, 11, 39, and just the first few verses of 12. And all these, all these people that went before, that none of them really received the fullness of what God was promising, a city with foundations. And we see later, when we get to read the end of Revelation, we see that city with foundations coming out of heaven. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore... Whenever you see a therefore, what do you, what's the question you ask? What's it there for? Two really important words in the Bible are therefore and if. If this, then that. Therefore, since we, the people of God, the people of faith now, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. These people that lived a life and suffered and paid a price so that the story would go forward. That this message of faith would go through the history. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And, and I'm going to take a liberty and say those, since, since those, those 2,000 years since Jesus that are also included in the great cloud of witnesses. That are egging us on and the whole creation is crying out in anticipation for the sons of, and daughters of God to rise up. You get in the picture? So therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us. Let us, now, you and I, let us lay aside the things that hinder that story moving forward and participating in the redemptive part of God. It's not, oh, I've got to lay aside every weight and just sin because I've got to be a good Christian. That's not what that text is saying. That might be partly true. But that text is saying, in the light of all of this, I lay aside these things so that I can participate in this great narrative and pay. These people are, they cheering me on. They want me to succeed. They hoping I succeed. Why? Because I'm part of the plan. And so are you. And so are we. This is a big thing. So when the Bible challenges us to live a life that's different, it's not so that you can be a good Christian. And you, no, it's so that the name of, of Jesus that can be made famous and passed down. And we just join in this great narrative that's, Thousands more older than the United States. We're part of it. We're part of it. It's just such a great thing. Let us cast aside every weight and sin which clings and let us run with endurance the race that is what? Set before us. In the light of everything that has come behind us, let us get rid of things that hinder us in the present so that we can race into the future. Isn't that beautiful? It's not about so I can get personal promises of God. I need a personal prophecy so that I know that, oh, God's going to bless me. Oh, amen. 
No, it's not about that. It's so that I can inherit that which God has already promised for His people. Which is a city with foundations. An eternity rooted in Jesus. How do we do this? Look to Jesus. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. No, I look to Jesus. Might have to tie my shoelaces, yes. But I look to Jesus. It's one of those days I'm getting animated, sorry. I look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of the faith. Without Jesus, I'm floundering. Without Jesus, it's half-hearted. Without Jesus, going to fail. No, I look to Jesus and I run a race. Paul writes, he said, I'm in this race. I want to run as if to win. I beat my body. I do all these things. Why? Because I want to show how holy I am? No, because I want to finish the race. I want to be part of the narrative. I want to join the great cloud of witnesses. That's why. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For us, for the joy set before us, we endure some things now. Having to say no to some things now. Why? For the joy set before us. If you don't know the joy set before us, you will not pay the price now. If you don't know there's a hope, you will not create faith and the ability to say yes and no to life now. If you do not know there's an eternal inheritance and a joy where there's perfect acceptance in Jesus, then you have to find acceptance here and you will compromise. And we all do it because none of us is perfect. We are human. But together, I'm assuming we're in community, together we nudge one another on to say, yes, we can do this. Because we part. We're taking the story on. We consider Him. Consider Him. Jesus. Isn't it beautiful? That text is all about finding our place in the story of God. Plus a bunch of other things. So here I stand. And if it was you stand, here you stand, here we stand. And we look backwards and we see a history that we're a part of. That's ended at us. And we look forward and we see a hope. So we have history and we have hope. Those are the things that anchor us into the story of God. The horrible bit is that's not always easy. Sometimes really hard, as we know. Um, when we look back, seven things I think it's important to look back for. You know, sometimes you say, you know, we hear this, you know, I'm the head, not the tail. I only go forward. I never look back. Actually, the Bible always says, look back and remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember. Seven things that I just, I was writing this morning, I just thought these are important. Number one, no specific order. When we look back, we see God's faithfulness to his promise. We see the ups and downs of God's people, but we see God being faithful through all of that. Even if he's putting them in exile to discipline them, he brings them back. God is faithful. We see that if we look at the narrative. Number two. You will see that your faith and ancestry is not perfect. That's really helpful. These were human beings. They are prostitutes in the ancestry of Jesus. They are liars, murderers, cheats in the ancestry of Jesus. And yet they were there. 
by faith, Rahab did not die. She was a prostitute. Why? She, she believed something, something simple. Number one, we look back because we remember the faithfulness of God to His promise. We look back and we see that the faith ancestry is not perfect. Therefore, there's place for us. Number three, we actually look back because we can start seeing God's original intent. If you don't look back, you forget why God actually put this all in place in the first place. You've got to look back to see the intent. Number four, you can learn vicariously by looking backwards. Oh, if I do that, that's what's going to happen. One of the things I've discovered now that I'm 59 and I've been married nearly 35 years and I've had kids and I've lived a while and I've been a Christian 30 whatever. I'm no cleverer now than I was 35 years ago. I'm definitely more wise. And I'm not the spiritual holy wisdom. It's the wisdom of saying, oh, I've just seen things. If you do this, this is what will happen. Why? Because I've seen it. I'm not clever. Just wisdom that comes with old age. Well, not old, older age. Does that make sense? So when you look back on the history of God's people, you can see if you do this, this is what's going to happen. I mean, Jesus said, I mean, God said to Moses, you need to remember the Sabbath. If you don't do the Sabbath, actually life's going to be not so good. And we forgot the Sabbath and life's not so good. For example, come back to that another day. Number five. That it's possible to have faithfulness without fulfillment. Your life, my life might be one where I live faithfully to the narrative and not actually receive everything that God had still promised. But it is coming. Does that make sense? These people did all this and they never received what was promised. But they were still faithful. And, then, and if we don't have that history, then we just feel like we're undone. Well, we're bad Christians. No, actually most of the people in the back never got what, they, what was promised. But they stuck to the plot. Number six, when you look back, you get glimpses of glory. You get pictures of what it could be. Glory. Amazing moments. You know? And seventhly, we also see how God deals with forgetfulness. When people forget, we see what God does. Oh, you forgot my covenant. Okay, I'll show you. You can learn from those things. Just some things. Maybe there are a hundred other things you can glean from looking backwards. But those are just seven I thought of. Three points to finish and we're done. Number one, in essence, we are baton passes. We're in a wrong relay and we've received a baton and we will pass it on. Make sense? Because it's not about us. It's about the story about Jesus' name being famous and Jesus' name being glorified. We are baton passes. Let's receive it. Let's run with it well and then let's pass it on well. Let's not drop it in the lane and be disqualified from the race. We are baton passes. Number two, we live with an understanding that the great cloud of witnesses are watching and have expectation upon us. There's a great expectation upon us from the great cloud of witnesses. Now, it doesn't mean you go to the toilet, the great cloud of witnesses are watching. I'm talking about the central part of our lives, this faith journey. They are egging us on. They, yes, yes, come on, come on. And then lastly, just to, to think. If we don't get this, just think about it. I want you to stop for a moment and think about this. If there is no history and no hope, and we're not anchored anywhere, actually life is totally meaningless. What is the purpose? 
Should we eat, drink, be merry, pursue happiness, die, hopefully leave some cash for the kids? If there's none of this, actually life is meaningless. And I think it's important that we go think about it. Truly think about it. But if, it, if it's real, if there's a history that we are part of and there's a hope that we are going towards, then life has power to it. It gives us energy. It helps us. The Holy Spirit coming to empower us, to walk alongside us, the Alice Paracletus to help us grow into everything Christ-like, to become like Jesus and keep passing it down. Do you get the point? I hope you did.